sounds dangerous, doesn't it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you were here with us last week, as we started talking about the three different types of dangerous prayers, I mentioned that, that one of these three messages could possibly be for you an anchor message. It's a term that, that Craig Rochelle uses in uh, talking about a message or a group of messages that we hear through the course of our life that, that has a great impact on us, uh, that, that possibly changes the trajectory of our life. In fact, I can, I can think of at least two of those anchor messages in the history of my life where, where I, I remember it, I remember where I was, I remember where it was preached, and I remember exactly what change God made in my life. And I pray that one of these might be an anchor message for you as well. Um, last week we looked at asking God to search our heart. You know, asking God to help us to see things in our lives that we were overlooking, things that maybe we've been justifying for years, things that we can't see ourselves. We talked about the fact that, that we're all liars and that the most common lie that we tell is to ourselves. That I'm okay, or I don't need help, or that I don't need anything, or that, uh, you know, I can handle this on my own, just to name a few. So if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go online and, and listen to last week's. Uh, <clears throat> and this morning, we're going to talk about something that's, I think, the most difficult of the three messages that we're looking at. However, it's not new to us as a church. Two years ago, uh, we did a, uh, a sermon series called Broken Together. You might remember some of those. You might, might remember the broken pot with the uh, inlaid gold to repair it that was up here as our graphic for that sermon series. And, and it might not hurt if you are someone who is struggling with some of this or, or you feel like you're, you're really broken and, and uh, maybe you just don't really feel very good about that. Uh, go back a couple years. They're, they're available online on our church website. Go to the media tab and, and you can look back and find that Broken Together series and, and listen to that as well. Uh, I mean, if there is a prayer that is by far the most dangerous, I think, to us, the one that I'm going to talk about this morning, is it. And I want to warn you and just tell you up front that some of you are not going to like this prayer. In fact, some of you might leave the room today thinking to yourself, I'm not praying that. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Um, it's not a common prayer. It doesn't feel good. And it's, and it's really not consistent with the God will always make your life better version of Christianity, this prayer that we're going to be talking about today. Um, it does, however, have the potential to open up your heart and your life to an incredible work of God. prayer that I'm going to ask you to consider praying is the prayer, break me. God, break me. In fact, it might sound something like this. God, I know you give grace to the humble. I'm going to repeat what she prayed. God, I know you give grace to the humble, so I ask you to do a deep work in my heart and break me. Break me of my pride. Break me in my selfishness. Break me of anything that keeps me from knowing you. As hard as it is to ask God, do whatever it takes to break me. Now, some of us, and, and 
it's okay to pray this because we know some people pretty well. Some of us have prayed that on behalf of other people. But I want to ask you this morning to consider praying this on behalf of yourself as well. It's a dangerous prayer, God break me. Now, not not all of you will. And you don't have to. I'm not saying this is a prayer that you have to pray. You don't have to pray this prayer to, to be saved, to be a Christian. That's, that's certainly not what I'm saying this morning. But I am asking you to consider giving God permission to do a deep work in your heart and in your life. By saying, God, break me. Now, as we consider this today, we're going to look at two accounts. Um, some pastors refer to them as stories. I, I, sort of, I sort of refrain from using that term because the word story tends to, to give a little bit of, you know, maybe it was made up, maybe it wasn't. These are accounts. These are historical accounts of the life of Jesus that we're going to be looking at here this morning. They're, they're side by side. They're in the same chapter in the book of Mark. Um, and we're going to, one is immediately followed by the other. So if you would turn, please, to Mark chapter 14, uh, we're going to start with verse 3. And if you're turning there, I want to kind of give us some background or some other observations that I make before, before we actually, actually read these. The first account is dealing with a prostitute. Now, I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder what life was like for this woman that is coming to Jesus in in this account. I'm sure she didn't always want to be a prostitute. I'm sure when she was a teenager, she didn't say or have this goal, by the time I'm 21, I want to be in the top 10 of prostitutes in, in my city. I'm pretty sure that wasn't on her mind. Um, nobody wanted to be a prostitute. It, it wasn't something to aspire to. In fact, if you were a prostitute, it's probably because you felt there was no other possible way for you to support yourself or or your family. It, it was a desperate vocation, if you will, because prostitutes, they were hated, they were despised, and they were full of shame. Who knows what would have led this woman down this road? Maybe she was a single mom and she had no other way to pay the bills and this was the only thing, especially in that culture, if she was not married and she was a single mom, there was no support system for her. Maybe she'd been abused by men and she knew nothing else and it was an easy uh, thing for her to do. Whatever it was, she was hated by every woman and she was used by many, many men. She was full of shame. But one day, she met a man who treated her differently. In fact, maybe for the very first time, she was shown respect and honor by a male. He treated her with dignity and he loved her appropriately. In fact, it impacted her so much that she wanted to worship him in the most sacrificial way that she could imagine. And this extravagant act of worship completely confuses everyone else in the room. Look at Mark chapter 14. Verse 3, it says this, and it's interesting to me, while he was in Bethany, he is Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came. This simple and 
a sinful woman, this prostitute, comes in. Uh, she comes in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now let's stop there. The first thing that I want us to observe this morning is in whose home is Jesus? It says that Jesus is in the home of a leper. Most people in this culture fled lepers. They didn't want to be around them if they were afraid. I mean, the law said that if you touched a leper, you were unclean, and there was a ceremonial thing that you had to go, go through. So people, not to mention that leprosy is contagious, so most people would run from lepers. What did Jesus do? He goes to their house. So Jesus is in this house, um, the house of a leper. So you have a rabbi, Jesus, and, and actually it kind of sounds like a joke, doesn't it? A, a rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute all go into a bar. No, um, it, it sounds kind of like that. But along with Jesus and the leper and this prostitute in the house, there are some other disciples, and she comes in with a very expensive jar of perfume. Now, this perfume, second observation this morning, was so valuable that we find out later in the Gospels that it was valued, this jar of, of perfume that the, the, this woman brings in is valued at a year's worth of wages. So I want you to think in your mind, what is a year's worth of wages for you? That's what it took for her to purchase this alabaster jar of perfume. Now, why was it so valuable? It's valuable because it was incredibly rare and it was extremely difficult to come by. In fact, um, the Bible dictionary says this, nard, uh, which comes from a, uh, a plant called the spike nard. Nard is a costly, fragrant oil of light reddish color derived from the spike nard plant. Because it was expensive, nard was often mixed with inferior oils and it was sometimes counterfeited. In this case, both Mark and John state that genuine or pure nard was used on Jesus. It's not counterfeit. It's not watered down. It's the real stuff. One year's worth of wages. Now, ordinary women in this day and age did not wear perfume because they couldn't afford it. So who wore the perfume? The prostitutes. Why? It, it was their calling card. You know, a man would be walking down the street and he would pass a woman and he could smell her perfume and he would know that she was open for business. That she was for sale. Oh, you're sending me this message. I get it. I mean, this very, very expensive perfume was essentially her complete business advertising plan and the means to her source of income. Incredibly expensive. And then, the next part of the verse, look at it, says this. What did she do with the jar of perfume? She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Can you imagine being in the room when she did this? What kind of things would you be thinking? Here is a prostitute. 
a lady of the night interacting with Jesus, a rabbi, the Savior, in a personal way. Not only that, but she's breaking this very expensive bottle, uh, jar of perfume, and then pours it on his head. Now, I've, I've seen and I've heard preachers say that these people lacked faith. When they said, stop, don't do that, you know, don't waste that perfume. I'm kind of thinking, me? She's getting ready to break it, and I'm going, no, right? Just think about it. A year's worth of wages. We could just use a drop or two on Jesus. Anoint him. You know, worship him in that way. And then let's go sell the perfume. Think of all the poor people we could feed. Think about how you could feed your, your own family with this. I mean, this act of worship was more extravagant than we can imagine. That's what it was. It was an act of worship. Essentially, she was saying this to Jesus. I'm giving you my whole life. I'm giving you the most valuable possession that I have. This represents my past. This represents my future. In other words, I'm leaving my past behind and I'm giving my future source of income and my life savings away. Jesus, you have loved me so that I will break open the most valuable possession that I have. It represents my livelihood. I will break it and I will pour it out, all of it, in one selfless, extravagant moment of worship. Broken and poured. She was surrendering to Jesus her past and her future. Now that's the first account. She's surrendering to Jesus her past and her future. The second account is right there after this one. And in this account, Jesus is having his last meal. I mean, Mark's gospel flies through the uh, events of Jesus' life. Jesus is having his last meal. He's gathered together with his closest friends. He knows what's coming. He knows he's going to give his life on the cross, and this is how Mark tells it. Same chapter, starting in verse 22. Look at it with me. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, when he had blessed it, he did what? Say it out loud. He broke it. He broke it. He broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Verse 23. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is what? Poured out for many. He said to them, broken and poured. My body is broken for you, Jesus said. My, my blood will be poured out for you, Jesus said. My jar is broken in an act of worship and I pour it all out because I'm giving you everything I am, everything I have, and truthfully, that's the only way that it could be done. That's the only way that we could be saved is if Jesus was broken and poured out. Jesus did it for us. Now, turn forward to the book of Luke, verse, or chapter 22. 
Luke reports on the same story. You see, Luke was at the table too. Mark was there, Luke was there, the rest of the disciples were there. And Luke wrote about it, and he told this account in almost the same way, but he added and he picks up on something that Mark didn't point out. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. He says basically the same thing. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and there it is again, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Then what did he say? Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. What was this? And, and I've, my, my thinking's been challenged on this a little bit this week. Most of us would agree that as followers of Jesus Christ, we did this a couple weeks ago, we, we practice communion. Uh, one of the ordinances that Jesus gave us baptism and communion once a month, the first Sunday of every month, to remember, to, to recognize the, the, the importance and the significance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He was broken and he was poured, but I came across this week as well. It could also mean that we also should live our lives the way that Jesus did. And as we live our life, we too should seek to be broken and poured. Many times scripture talks about us pouring our lives out to other people. Talks about us being broken before God. We're to die to ourselves daily so that we can live for his glory. When the gospel says to do this, what if perhaps Jesus was saying, don't just do an act to remember, don't just make this a ritual every day, but live this way. Be broken and poured out. Even as Paul said, I'm poured out like a drink offering, giving everything that I have for God's glory. Broken and poured. And if you pray this, God will break you. Now that's how God started preparing me, I think. Many ways, of course. I can point to many things throughout the history of my life. And I alluded to the wrestling uh, that we talked about a couple weeks ago uh, that God did with me, that I did with him during the missions conference called Urbana 87. It's put on by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, held at the end of December of 1987. I wrestled with God over something that I felt like he was calling me to do and something that I didn't want to do. But as I think about it, I think that God was preparing me months before that conference. Because you see, in February of 1987, February 10th, in fact, was the day that my mother died. And in that moment, in that time, I was broken. And as I think about that, my mom uh, fought, struggled, wrestled with cancer for two years. She could have died at any time in that two-year period, but she died in February, just after I started the second semester of my freshman year of college. It was difficult. I didn't deal with it real well. 
that my heart and my life became clay in the hands of God when that happened. There were things that I relied on from my, from my mother that I had to figure out myself and, and navigate myself. And, and, and I, as I look back on it, I believe that God was beginning to prepare the soil of my life at that moment in time which led me to the wrestling at Urbana 87, which led me to volunteer as the youth pastor at Alvin Baptist Church every summer that I came home, and then when I didn't get a teaching job and moved home to farm, did the, the youth ministry, and then so happened to go on a mission trip with Derek Jackson, the youth pastor of North Hills Baptist Church, who then resigned after we got home from the trip and the church called me and said, hey, would you be interested in being a youth pastor? That was 20, almost 27 years ago. And I've been here ever since. And, and here's the thing about that. As a, as a youth pastor and now as a pastor, I believe that the pouring out of my life is a huge part of what I do. And as I've thought about it, over the years, if you served with me in youth ministry, or maybe I've said this before, I've believed this my whole life, that it can't happen through you until it happens to you. I don't remember where I heard that, but I think it rings true for all of us. It can't happen, you might write this down, it can't happen through you until it happens to you. You can't stand up here and tell a bunch of people a bunch of things about life and have them believe it and impact their lives if it hasn't first impacted yours. Before these guys went on this cruise, I mean, my wife and I, we've been on a couple of them, and honestly, in my opinion, it's the absolute best vacation you could ever take in your life. You don't have to drive. You don't have to cook. You don't have to make your bed. Um, you go to bed at night and you're in a different town, or different place. Um, it was amazing. But I'm not sure they quite understood it, no matter how much I talked it up, until they actually went. You know, you can point to a brochure for a vacation all you want, but if you talk to somebody that's actually been there, you come away from that conversation going, wow, I, yeah, I believe him. I, I want to go there now. I don't have stock in any cruise line, by the way, just to let you know that, but... Um, it can't happen through you until it happens to you. And it happens to you when you are broken. And when we're broken, we are able to help and connect with others as it happens to them. When they are broken too. There's a big difference from sitting down with someone who's experienced something firsthand and someone who's read a book about it, isn't there? You see, we're all broken. We just have to admit it. And as we admit it, we begin sharing with one another, and as we share with one another, we cease being individuals, and we start being the church. 
we may impress people with our strength, but we connect through our weakness. Let me say it this way. We may impress people with our strength, but we connect most deeply through our brokenness. When we are strong, people say things like, Oh, man, that's amazing. You're cool. You're so good. I like you. I can't believe you did that. And then there's sometimes when somebody is really, really good at something, we're like, oh man, she's so high on herself. I mean, we don't like it. But then when they screw up, when they make a mistake like we all do, we think to ourselves, wow, really, she's really not any better than I am. She makes mistakes too. She's insecure too. I like her. See, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect through our brokenness. Dr. Henry Cloud, author and psychologist, says this, I'm really convinced that God made the tear ducts in the eyes for a reason. I mean, he could have put them anywhere, right? To me, the logical place for a tear duct would be in your nose somewhere, because your nose runs other times too. So you're watching a sad movie and you're crying. You could hide it. Yep, I just got a cold. You know, now we have to say, I got something in my eye or, you know, some other lame excuse. And you don't like people looking at you, right? My wife doesn't. We're watching a movie and it's really sad and I know she's crying. I, you know, she's not sniffling because she doesn't want me to know that she's crying. So I look at her. And then she sees me looking at, what are you looking at me for? Right? Anybody else ever have that happen? We watched a movie a couple nights, a, a few nights ago. It was last week. Wonder? About a little boy with the, the face that he, I see he was born without a face. And if you haven't seen it, you should see it. <laughs> I don't know if my wife ever looked at me. I never looked at her because I was, like five times in this movie, I, tears were running down my eyes because it was, it was so powerful. So Craig Rochelle says this, I can't prove this, but I just think that perhaps God designed the tears to come out of your eyes because you were designed by God to have someone looking you in the eye when you're hurting and feeling and feeling their love. I like that. I mean, maybe, maybe God in his infinite wisdom allowed us to cry because someone else could be connecting with us eye to eye when we're hurting the most. Being broken is not only just one moment, but it's an ongoing breaking. You know, this isn't a one and done, I'm okay, I'm great kind of thing. I mean, we have lots of things that we want to hold on to and not let go and not give God, you know, access to all of the doors and closets and rooms of our house. And, and, and really, we, we need him to break into all of those. I don't know if he shoves through them. I, I don't know. You know, God is working all of that out, and I trust him in that sense, but it really is best if he breaks them all. It's best for us. And as God breaks us of our sinfulness and continues to teach us to depend on him, it is a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly thing. Now, this next statement isn't original thought of mine, and I'll just say it, and, but, but I'll say it because I believe it. 
and I stand by it with all my heart today. And it's this. It's the application of today that life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. I mean, let that sink in. Life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. Now, some of you have experienced great breakings, and you've also experienced the great blessings that have come from those. Some of you may right now be in the midst of great breaking, and you have never experienced this before, and you can't even imagine that there could be blessing on the other side of it. But there is. Life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. I don't, you see, I don't, I don't think God ever wastes brokenness. <laughs> see, he works all things for good, right? For those who are in Christ Jesus. whether it was a screw-up on our part that that we need to repent of and turn from, or it was something someone else did that impacted our life in a major way. I don't know how many times I've been broken. <laughs> and sat with people and shared, you know, being broken myself. And, and I've heard things like, this too shall pass, and um, other inc- encouraging things. And it's, all, it's, it's always been true, what a friend might share with me. Because I know that some of the friends that I share my brokenness with, they have been broken just in, in just as profound ways. Now, you may have other applications that God has spoken to your heart this morning, and I would encourage you to to write them down as well. Now, when I reflect on my own life and I look at the people in the Bible, I think this rings true. Peter, who said, Jesus, I will never, I will never deny you. I won't do it. What did he do? Three times, just like Jesus said he would. I don't know Jesus. I don't know that man. I don't know him. And on the third time, Peter realizes what he's done and he breaks. Peter also, after being forgiven by Jesus, after the resurrection, three times I might add, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Go feed my sheep. And then what does Peter do? Peter is tapped to preach boldly and eloquently on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people give their lives to Jesus Christ. This man who denied Jesus said, no, I don't know him. Those whom God uses the greatest are often those who've been broken the deepest because God never, ever wastes a hurt. As you you sit here this morning, maybe you're thinking, man, I don't want to be broken. I feel pretty good right now.
you know, that's okay. You don't have to pray this, as I said earlier, to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, there's some of you sitting here this morning could probably preach a better sermon than I have so far today because of the hurt that you've experienced in your life. Some listening are either right now or at some point going to get to the place where you are breaking and everything is crumbling around you and and your first instinct is going to be to suck it up and do it yourself. To get through it yourself. You don't need any help. You You can do it. But maybe what you should do is just go ahead and fall on the rock and break to pieces. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, I'm broken and I need you and I don't care what anybody thinks. I need you. When you get to that moment, and you will, because life guarantees it, I think, you can either run to God or you can run away from Him. And you might think that running away is the best and easiest thing. It's not. The best thing is to just break wide open, fully depend on God, and let him do the, the healing work for you. And, and it doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus for 65 years, or one year, or five days, or not at all. Maybe you've been fighting against God, breaking something in your life. Maybe that's just surrendering your heart to him in the first place. Maybe it's an attitude or a sin or a bad habit or an unhealthy situation of some kind. Maybe you've been resisting God's attempts to transform your life in some other way. Maybe you're avoiding surrendering everything to him. Won't you consider today to ask Jesus to break you? To break your body, to break your sin, to break you of yourself so that you can serve him first and foremost with your life, not yourself. Surrender it completely to him. The gospel is an invitation to come and die to self. Die to ourselves so that Jesus can live through us. You see, when the sinful woman broke open the jar, she poured it all out, symbolizing I'm giving it all to you. Broken and poured. When Jesus' body was broken, it was broken for you. It was broken for me. His blood was poured out so that our sin could be forgiven, so that our relationship with God could be restored. Our mission as this church is to to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. I believe that in my heart, that that, and that that represents God's heart, too. The reality is that many of us are what I would call not fully devoted followers of Jesus, but partially devoted followers of Jesus. We do it when it's convenient for us, or if we find it ourselves at a point where we finally do give up and can't do it on ourselves, on our own, we, we surrender to Jesus for a time. Um, if, if you find yourself at any point being a partially devoted follower of Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to consider praying this dangerous prayer. God, break me. 
Break me so I could be fully dependent on you. Whatever it takes, God, I want you, I, I want to know you intimately and serve you faithfully because I trust you, God. Do whatever it takes. And realize that he will. Do whatever it takes. Break me that I could know you. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in the next few moments you would do a significant work in the hearts of many people. I thank you, God, that for some this might be an anchor message, that even right now your Holy Spirit is doing a work in their heart and a work in their spirit. And God, we choose to trust you. May we say, I'm not afraid to be pushed. And I hope, God, that you will push me. At this point today, though, I'm, I want to give everyone that's listening a, a little breathing room. I, I'm going to give you a little bit of room to breathe. Everyone here today and watching, wh wherever you're listening, there are those of you, you're like crazy all in. I mean, you've already decided this morning that you trust God enough to pray an incredibly dangerous prayer. And in this moment, you're saying, God, break me. Whatever it takes, break me. If that's you, praise God. I mean, more power to you. Go full on, all in. But, but I don't want all of us to, or even 50 or 60 percent of us to walk out of this room today and just say, well, that one wasn't for me. I, I want you to consider praying this this morning. And it goes like this. Pick something in your life. Last week, um, if you've been praying, God, search my heart. Um, if he showed you something that's offensive, whatever God showed you that's offensive to him, that's displeasing, that shouldn't be there, make that your broken prayer. Break me of that, God. Whatever it is, break me. Maybe it's pride or anger or self-sufficiency or lust impatience, whatever it is, start there. Ask God to break that in you. And when he breaks you of that, what you're going to see is on the other side of brokenness are the blessings of God. That you'll see him in a way that you never saw him before. That you'll see other people in a way that you never saw them before. God, break me of this because I trust that you are good. At whatever level you want to start, start. If you want to go all in and have no qualification, break me wide open, God. I trust you, whatever it is. If you will pray that this week as we prayed, search me, God, last week. Pray that every single day. He will answer. He will work. He will break what needs broken in your life. Let's pray some dangerous prayers this week because we have an amazing God that we can always trust. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This next song talks about...